Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Roth. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode for Season 12, Episode 3, The Hike. In this week's episode, you heard very little from me and a whole lot from Javier Garcia Jr. and Robert Pape. Uh, we've got a ton of stuff to discuss, and I'm joined by Zach and Janet, and right for a short break, we're going to get into kind of our little breakdown and discussion. I'm curious to see what you guys have to say about those interviews. Uh, and then we'll get right into listener questions. And we're also live on YouTube, so we'll have, probably have some questions there, too. So hang on tight right after this break. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications. And that's why yesterday I knew that you did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. So we have, we have a ton of listener questions, but the first I, I want to let me give you guys a little update on what's coming. Okay. So first of all, as I mentioned last week, Zach and I are on, and Janet, as it turns out, are all on vacation next week. So we're off. There will be no main episode this week or no follow up. So. The next episode you're going to hear will be the next main episode, which will be next Sunday, April 10th. So that's one thing. That episode is going to be from L.A., not so confidential, Dr. Scott and Dr. Shiloh, Yay. who are both like forensic psychologists, um, are going to they're, – they're analyzing the Robert Pape interview that you just heard. And that was just you know the investigative steps that I take when, I'm, when I was – when I was listening to it, there is actually a video version that I'm not sure if I'm able to post or not, um, but I shared with them to be able to watch it and um, uh, kind of give me their thoughts on it because I'm listening. We're trying to figure out where Becky was at and what she was doing, and I wanted a professional to take a look at the at the interview and see what their thoughts were on it. Um, so I'm going to be – they're going to be giving us that analysis. That will be the episode that's coming up on the 10th. What I'd like to do today before we get into questions is hear what you guys think, and I'll be looking at the YouTube chat as well um, about those interviews. Because through through the through social media, man, there's a mix. There's a huge mix. There's there's people that are like, man, Javier sounds shady, and then people are like, man, Javier sounds like 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 super duper honest, and then and vice versa with with Robert. So everybody's got mixed opinions. I'm curious what you guys think. Uh, since Janet, you're the host, and I haven't let you speak yet. <laughs> I'm not the host. I'm conducting the traffic. You don't have to. Th I'm not the host. I'm just, I'm just maintaining. <laughs> right. I'm helping maintain. Well, Zap, tell me if you agree with this. I, to be honest with you, maybe it's just a, a a naive ear, but I thought they both seemed really forthcoming and and just kind of credible. I I mean, I I don't know. That was that was my impression. Is they both seemed very easy to give information, and they both seemed. I mean, to sh to show up the scene, I guess that could be construed with 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 Javier. Um, that it could be construed as as odd, but it just seemed so clear to me that he was just trying to get information because there was still the sense of like, was she there? Was she not there? And everybody's in shock. So I, I, that didn't. And then the Robert interview seemed like a guy who was, you know, nervous to have to talk to a cop, but like, I mean, nobody had any lawyer. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, what did you think, Zap? No, I, I have to agree. I, they They both came across as credible. I mean, there's there's moments in both interviews where you kind of have to question what they're saying. You know, Javier's interview, he used a lot of very 
on point terms, which which always strikes me as strange. And but what I say that is like when he's explaining something, he says, you know, he doesn't say he lived down the road. He he says he lives in this apartment complex down the road. There, there's right. certain uh-huh. verbiage that he was using that always strikes me as weird when somebody gets into like very my, specific, yeah, very specific details and minute details. It always kind of strikes me as weird. But then the the part comes later in the interview where he's asking about if her vehicle is there. Yeah, and that seems like a very genuine thing. Like I, I feel like. If he's being shady, why is he asking about the vehicle? That seems like a very genuine point to me where he kept asking, can I go see if the vehicle's there? It would just I, it would make, make me, me feel, feel better, better if I knew if the vehicle was there or not. Yeah. Which And and that's yeah. what kind of, you know, at the beginning you you see the shade that people are throwing on him. You kind of see where he's coming where you're like, "Oh man, this guy seems weird." You know what I mean? He, with his dad being this way and it But but once he gets to the vehicle part, that's the part that kind of opened him up to me to make him not seem as shady. Yeah. And to be clear, I don't we're not we're not really just dis- discussing like the purpose of this discussion is not uh, for you listeners data is not like we're not talking suspects right now we're just trying to figure out who is you know, you know did everything do we believe that robert scheduled a hike with her mm-hmm. and then canceled at this point in the investigation is just to figure out you know where becky's risk factors were and where she was at and with who you know right. there, there was moments in javi's interview too that kind of struck me weird you know when he when the officer asks about the shoes and he immediately says, well, you're probably going to find my footprints up there. Yeah. I mean, that was it was very quick to say that. And then the other thing that, that I wanted to point out, too, was when he asked when he talked to Becky last. I mean, obviously, you can look at our phones. We can see what time we talk to people. Mm-hmm. But I mean, he was like on it. Like, this is the time. This is when here. Look at the phone. This is the phone. You know, yeah. She called me from home. This is the home phone number. To me, it seemed like the son of a dad who has a a role in like the legal system or has a role in politics mm-hmm. where I could per- I could perceive it. I'm not saying that, that I'm right, but you could perceive that as like my dad told me that um, I, it'd be, you know, I should show you that I actually have the phone. If this is helpful, probably is helpful because <laughs> my dad does this thing. And, uh, you know, you're probably gonna find my footprints because I- I've been up there. You know, my dad, that's something my dad would ask. You know what I mean? Like that sort of yeah. kid who who feels like he's got a, f- a foot in to that world mm-hmm. and so kind of wants to you know, feel like he's being helpful or or feel like or show his credibility. That's something I feel like I would do, too, again, from being a true crime listener. And I, I'm curious if, if you guys on, on YouTube feel the same way, where I feel like everything I would do being questioned would be suspicious now because I would know all of the things that I'm not supposed to say and that I'm supposed to say. And it would all sound like too eager and too, you know what I mean? I'd be like, well, you're yeah. probably going to find my footprints. <clears throat> and I know I need to ask for an attorney because Bob said so. But so. I, I don't know. That's how I perceive yeah, that the, a little bit. The footprint thing definitely. I mean, that's definitely odd. Yeah, there's there's a lot of little. We have to remember too. We were talking about young kids. These are eighteen year old kids. There was a lot to a lot of people had a lot to say about the fact that nobody in all four interviews we heard nobody sounded too distraught. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and Javier was up at the crime scene at like eight thirty in the morning, but that's just you know we just as I said we, we don't we don't get to we shouldn't be basing how we would react emotionally to something, you know, and, and putting that on someone else. So I don't think that's a thing. There were definitely plenty of listeners that pointed out in Javier's interview that the times were very specific, but if you really listen to them and break them down, which I hadn't noticed, there's a lot of conflicts there where like, he's like, I talked to her at six forty. it's right here. And then a few minutes later, he's like, she said they were going hiking between six thirty and seven while I was talking to her at six forty. Right, you know? right. So like, there were like there were little things like that. I don't necessarily think that's 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 super important. No, but that's a good catch by listeners. I didn't notice that. It's kind of hard to yeah, hear. They, some that, of it. Oh man, there was listeners who put posts up that were like breaking down everything, like piece by piece by piece by piece. You know, like he said, you know, I I, I talked to her about her day, and he said, you know, I, I talked to her about how her day went, and then he said, well, you know, how did her day go? And he goes, well, I was with her all day, and it's like, well, why are you? Talking to her about how her day went. If you were with her all day, there's there's a lot of weird things in there. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of the, even just in the chat right now. A lot of people are are pointing out a lot of the stuff that you're saying, and um, and also some comments about yeah the 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 officer, which I it is definitely the same officer who questioned. Um, uh, oh gosh, what's it? Janelle? Is that in that yeah. in the last podcast episode like there were clearly two different officers yeah. questioning the two different people and this guy is clearly the same one who questioned Janelle in the last one and saying yeah. like it just kind of sounded there was you know some stuff that both guys both officers said that maybe came off as unprofessional or just sort of seemed like uh, uh, forceful or or intense or abrupt you know 
Well, and it, I, there was definitely times where I wish he would have like, why aren't you asking these obvious follow-up questions? You know, there's there's always that. There's a big one in Robert's interview, a big one in Robert's interview that I was like, what? He's not going to follow up on that? Which one was that? Uh, that's, that someone was, that he was like, uh, I mean, yeah, someone, look, Tiffany Bedida said, I guess that he, they were telling people that I hit her, that I hit Becky. Like, he's, I, 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 if I were the police officer, I'd be like, I'm sorry, uh, could you elaborate on that? Why, why would someone say that? Who said yeah, that? Yeah. Who said that? First of all, I want to talk to that person, you know? And also, why do you think they would say, like, there's just a huge thing to throw out there. If you're already sort of like pointing a finger at him or, you know, obviously he's going to be a huge part of the investigation for all of the reasons that we've already discussed. The idea that he would just toss that out there and he, they would just get sort of glossed over seemed very surprising to me. Yeah, I'm really curious to see what the doctors, um, Shiloh and Scott, have to say about the interview, because there's a lot. So I, I'll give you kind of my my read on that. Well, let me ask you guys this before I do that. Robert mixes the days up at the beginning. What did you think about that? So I feel like that's genuine. And I also feel like that leads me to believe that he's being genuine because if he doesn't have a reason to put the times together, start things start blending together. And he, right. and he says, yeah, I talked to her yesterday. And he goes, oh, you know what? I realized that wasn't yesterday. You know, yeah. obviously the incident happened yesterday. Yeah. That was two days ago, but I, I could easily see why that would happen. If you didn't have a reason to know to be on point, the, the points, yes. yeah, yeah. What do you think, Janet? Oh, I totally agree. I, I, I'm sorry to say it, but that's absolutely something I would do. And then I would mm -hmm. spend way more time trying to backpedal and explain why I said something stupid and was like, I was. I'm, I'm pleased that Robert right. didn't spend more time <laughs> trying to explain that because I would be like, okay, I know this looks bad. Um, here's why I thought that. Like, it just, you know, I would, I would do that. I would get my days mixed yeah, up. I, I would, you know. I would do it. Yeah, that was the f the first thing for me that I heard. One, I I know, and then from watching his interview too, his like in the video version, you see he's very his body language is you know he's sitting up, he's looking the officer right in the eye the whole time. There's a lot of indicators that he's very comfortable in the room. He's not worried. You know, it, it would seem like from my amateur uh, uh, analysis that he's not feeling like a suspect. Um, the fact that he mixed the days up for me was to me a point like points more towards veracity because I've always said, you know, like innocent people, a lot of people, defense attorneys say this, innocent people are the worst with alibis, right? Because yeah. they don't, they don't have any reason to keep track of anything. And the fact that he mixed those up, now it seems like he, he knew he was talking about Saturday, but he got a mix, but, but it was still like, if he had like guilty knowledge of the crime and he's going to talk to the police, I would expect him subconsciously to be to know that, like, I need to explain my time right during the time of this crime. But his mind went to when he saw her last and and it was just completely off on this whole tangent about this whole day, this stuff that that didn't happen. Or that didn't happen on that day. That happened on a different day. So it was like, man, he, it just it, to me, it seemed like he's not super concerned about that, right? Um, uh, as, as far as Javier goes, for for me, like it's, I don't know. I, I want to look more. To, I, there were some weird things that I picked up on, like him and the cop both saying, "Who would do something like this?" So if if like the narrative that's out there is just that there was a fire. And we don't know what happened. Right. Why are they both using that language who would do something like this? So to me, it indicates, and I'll tell you why that's important to me in a second. It indicates that he knows more than, that, that the officer has shared more with him than we think. Mm, okay. Yeah. So the, the reason it's important is there was something big that came out in that interview that that was that jumped right out at me, and that's the fact that the cops seem to be keeping everything very close to the vest. They're not they're not sharing any details of the crime. They wouldn't even tell Janelle and Claire like if she was if they knew that Becky was actually dead. Right. All they knew is there's a fire and that's it. But then Robert, when he says, "Well, what did you hear about it?" and he's and he says, "Oh, that there was a fire and that there was a twenty something year old girl body in a wheelbarrow and then two other bodies that." were you know unsexed and unrecognizable yeah 
in the found in the house. And immediately you're like, how the fuck did he know about the wheelbarrow? And there was a lot of social media. Which the cop said too. the cop was like, wait, who told you about that? Yeah. And he says Javier told him. I give you a little foreshadowing in the the fact that that Javier says he didn't tell him that he didn't even know that morning. So there's like this big issue. So for me, you know, obviously knowing a little bit further and I'm sharing a little bit with you guys, like just jumping ahead. I'm like, how did he have that information? And so I spent a lot of time really analyzing and breaking that down this week, especially in knowing that I'm going to have Dr. Shiloh and Dr. Scott on to talk about it with as well. And I know like there's no way they don't address that. They're going to address it. Yeah. Um, There's a few things that I saw that I'm curious with. I noticed a change in body language when that I'm, I'm sure they're going to address when they asked him when was the last time he was up there, which I'll get to in a minute what I think about that. Like that's the first time he kind of like sat back and looked down instead of at the cop. Right. And the video. Uh-huh. And I'm sure they're going to address that. And then, of course, the knowledge of the wheelbarrow. Is it guilty knowledge? Well, let me. So this this is my analysis of it. I feel like it's super strong and it, and it, it gives us a real good idea of where the information came from. And also that it doesn't present any guilty knowledge of anyone. So everybody's focused in that he knows about the wheelbarrow. But what does he say? It's a 20-something-year-old female in a wheelbarrow. That language, first of all, sounds like That sounds like, like cop awful. language. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. But that, you know, that could be anecdotally – you could be you know, trying to feign a little bit that, you know, a little bit that you don't really know what's going on while still giving some information. Mm-hmm. But the clue, the, the clue that gives it away is he says they found two unsexed, unrecognizable bodies in the house. That is not guilty knowledge that the person who committed the crime would know. Okay? So, like, if he said that, like, oh, and he found John and Vicky in the house, the person that killed them knows that John and Vicky were in the house. Right. To say that they found two completely charred bodies that were, you couldn't even tell what sex they were because they were consumed in the fire, the person who committed the crime would not have that knowledge. They wouldn't know right. if the bodies were found, when the bodies were found, and what right. the condition of the bodies would be once they found them in the fire. Okay. No, I have to agree. And I, and I think that term unsexed is, is big because who's going to use that term? I wouldn't use right. that term it's, Yeah, now. it sounds but like you, wrote, you, heard, you heard it on a police scanner or someone. Mm. Yeah, it, it literally sounds to me like... I heard this and I wrote it down verbatim or it froze in my mind because it was yeah. so official and kind of unsettling in in that. Again, that's sort of like, am I in a movie? Like, this is crazy. I, unsexed right. people like it, it would stick fair, with you. He could have picked the term unsexed, you know, just just Boy, he I don't just know that they weren't able to identify. I would sex. never know to do that. Yeah, ever. I, yeah I wouldn't. Strange. I wouldn't think so. Uh, either, the YouTube but, but chat the big, agrees. That's a very, very specific term. Yeah. But the, but the, the larger point is. The knowledge that he shared was not guilty knowledge of the crime regardless because, like I said, when, when you're saying – when you're when the information he shared was actually what the police found at the crime scene, that the killer would have no way of knowing that. Like the killer wouldn't know what the final condition of Becky's body was, whether they were able to tell if it was male or female. The fact that they say it was a 20-something-year-old. Female. He didn't say they found Becky in a barrel, mm-hmm. right? And he said they found a twenty-something-year-old female in the barrel, and then or barrow. I swear to God, one more person tells me on social media I'm pronouncing it wrong. That's how we'd say it in Michigan. We say barrel, even though it's barrow. I know it's barrow. I write it in the script as barrow, and then I still say barrel. Um, <laughs> uh, but he just says that it's a twenty-something-year-old body. But the, but the, I'm telling you, the the key to me, and I'm I'm very curious what Doctor Scott, Doctor Shiloh have to say about it too is. The fact that what he describes with the other two bodies is not the condition the killer left them in, is not where they were found. It was it was the condition that the police right. found them in. Right. Or EMT or whatever. Yeah. The the this becomes important because now to me that takes away suspicion. It doesn't mean that like it takes all suspicion away from Robert, but as far as you know, that that leg of maybe a case against him that he had guilty knowledge of the crime. Is not he? First of all, it's not guilty knowledge of the crime. So now you got to think of where the information came from. He says it came from Javier. That's very reasonable. We know Javier was there. We know Javier was talking to the police. You know him, Javier, and the cop were saying things like, "Who would do something like this?" Javier standing there with all the neighbors. You know, Jim Ellis saw the body in the wheelbarrow. Yes, Barrow, and then and and uh, 
and, and, you know, and, and Javier says he saw the body bags coming out. So, so to me, the most likely, and remember that uh, the Javier's dad is the DA investigator in the homicide division. Mm-hmm. Certainly he would have knowledge of what happened that night. Yeah. And so that could be a source of the information, but, but. To me, Robert, in the instance when he was saying, and again, you guys haven't seen the video of it, but he was, he's looking, the, the, uh, he, his posture, his eye contact, everything about it to me rang true when he said, Javier told me that when he right. called me this morning. And then when you go back and look at the facts, that this information had to have come from someone who knew what happened after the fact. Mm-hmm. Right. To me, it seems very likely that information did come from Javier. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What do you think guilty knowledge of that would sound like? I mean, would, Ooh, would they question. say, would they would use their names? Would they try to avoid their names to pretend like they don't know? But but like you said, they would they would talk about how they left them, right? So would they discuss like, you're, oh, they were shot. You're looking for leaks, right? You're looking for them to leak information out. Okay. So like if they said, like Becky's, like if they said Becky's in a wheelbarrow, mm-hmm. that is... It could be guilty knowledge, could be what the police found. But if they if they said something like, like, yeah, well, I just heard that Becky was in a wheelbarrow and that mm. and that um, John and Vicky were shot in the house, like the yeah. police didn't know they were shot mm-hmm. at that point. Yeah, right? yeah. So that that that's demonstrating that I know something the police don't know. Okay. Instead, what he relayed was was exactly what the police did know. Right. And my question was, do. You, Maybe it's too soon to say or maybe it doesn't matter. But do you think that Javier saying that he didn't tell him that is he forgot? It could be that he forgot. Or could it be that, you know, he was talking about it with his dad and his dad was like, please don't put get that. I don't want this to get this is should not be out there. You know more than should be out there. So I need you to not tell anyone. Or the police told him that when he saw the, you know, the bags. Like, do you think yeah. that he was sort of not in any kind of like super suspicious way, but just that he felt like, oh, I shouldn't have told Robert that. So I'm going to go ahead and say I didn't tell him that. Yeah, I, I, all I guess I'll, my, all I would say is to caution people not to jump to conclusions on it, because as you just mentioned, a very good one. There are lots of reasons why that could happen. It could yeah. be, it, it it could be just that, like his dad told him, and he's like, "Don't tell anybody." And then I mean, you know, he tells Robert, and then Robert tells the cops who relay that back to his dad, right? And he's like, "What the hell?" And he's like, "I didn't say that." You know, it could be something as simple. Remember, we're dealing with kids. Yeah, uh, there's a million reasons why that could be the case. So, but, but you know, in 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 kind of breaking down just the, these first interviews and timelines and things like that, you know, it for anybody that heard it and thought, oh, boom, 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 red flag, he demonstrated guilty knowledge by saying that he didn't, and and, and that and that is one of the the stanchions of the state's case against him was that statement. He knew about the wheelbarrow. On the day of the crime, when no one should have known, is one of the things that was used against him in court. And and my by my analysis, that information had to have come from law enforcement and filtered to him. And there's no reason to believe it came from anyone other than Javier, because you know th- there's no indication that he was lying when he said that's where he got the information. And it, the, the other thing that I want to talk about was that was the the body language. I'm really curious if Dr. Shiloh and Dr. Scott noticed it i'm sure they did but but but, and and i've asked them not to not to google the case they don't know Mm. anything about it yeah i said don't google it don't look it up and don't listen to the podcasts until you come on because i want a completely unaltered um opinion and they're doing them independently like dr shiloh did hers dr scott did his and then they'll come together tomorrow night when i actually do the interview with them but for me like i noticed it right away i noticed that he was sitting there 
Um, for those of you that are watching on YouTube, you see you know, he's, he's looking, he's answering all the questions. He's and then they said, well, well, when was the last time you were there? And he kind of sits back and looks at the floor and he was, that's when he was, uh, it was December or January or I just look at that as that was the, it could be an indicator. It's an indicator of discomfort, which we were actually talking about off the air just a minute ago that, that, you know, that, that you know, people say, say something is like an indicator of deception. There is no indicator of deception. What you're looking for is indicators of discomfort and then trying to figure out why someone's uncomfortable answering that question. In that case, when you look through the interview, to me, that was the first question that he didn't know the answer to and had to think about. Right. You know what I mean? So it was like, well, when you start, yeah, I talked to her on the phone yesterday. I did, you know, like things were just coming quick to him because they were at the top of his mind and, and he didn't have to think about it. And he, you know, he, he was able to, and that was the first one where, he had to stop and think when it was. So could it be that he was uncomfortable and he was lying? It's possible. For me, it seemed like that was just the first time that he had to put some effort into coming up with the right answer. And I really felt like he was doing his best to be as forthcoming as possible and give the most information as he could as possible in that interview. Um, so that that was my read on it was that change in body language was him working hard to try to remember something that wasn't at the top of his memory because he wanted to get the information right. Got it. And and you can you can look at kind of the patterns of his the whole thing about the wheelbarrow and the and the bodies in the house and all that stuff. I mean, he's just he's giving them everything. You know, it'd been easy just to, you know, to to not share information, but when they ask even let's go back to the uh did you ever hit her? You know, he could have just said no. But he's like, no, well, they said, and then he said, well, you ever, and he said, no, well, you know, we'd wrestle around sometimes and, you know, and, and, you know, we might both have bruises. Like he was sharing a lot. He was sharing everything. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I took his, that interview at my face value, by my analysis that there was nothing there to indicate that he was lying. Right. Which becomes important specifically when we're talking about, did he go on the hike with Becky or did he cancel it? Right. Two two quick things. One is um nope, already forgot the second one. One quick thing. Uh oh no, I have the other one. Okay. First of all, I'm going to do the first one. I'm going to do the second one first, which is that uh Kate and uh, perhaps some other folks I haven't caught up to yet. Um you know, you're talking a lot about the video. Uh that's going to create some questions from people of can I watch the video? You know, can can we see it? Can we look at the body language? Is that is that a no-go for legal reasons? Is it a no-go cuz it it just doesn't make sense right now? Do are you ever going to post it? Um I I I probably will. I need I need to do some double checking to make sure that it's okay for me to okay. post it. Okay. Um, and I definitely have to do some redactions uh, on it because there's some okay. phone numbers and stuff that are in there that I need to take out. Well, we definitely heard a lot of phone numbers uh, in the episode. Oh wait, don't say that. Uh, Move them later. Okay, sounds good. We one thing I, I can say is we definitely didn't hear any phone numbers. In the episode that's already out there in the world. Okay. Uh, the other thing I was going to say is just to be devil's advocate, and I think we really want to get into these listener questions, um, you know, the same thing that Javi did, which the YouTube chat agrees, you know, if a cop asks you if they can look at your shoes, you're probably going to know why they're asking. You're probably going to say, mm -hmm. like, oh, if this is your, you want, if you want to see my shoes, if I'm, I can put two and two together very quickly, you want to know if my footprints are up there, or maybe you're, maybe right. I should worry that they will be. So I think it makes sense to say that. Um, by the same token, similarly for him to say, did you ever, were you ever rough with her? One could make the argument that he would feel he needed to account for why someone right. would say he had hit her or why she would have bruises as a sign of guilt. I don't that's not how I perceived it, but I'm sure someone may hear you and think, well, you know, he also he's sharing a lot, but he also might feel like he needs to share that because he wants to get out in front of something. That's all. Yeah, and, and I not and saying that's I said, what's I don't going think on, we should jump. Yeah, I don't think we should jump to conclusions with any of this stuff yes. yet. I mean, there's going to be we're going to dig deep into suspects. You guys know that when we get that far. I don't want to get hung up on that stuff right now. But yeah, there. I, I mean, the, I I I bring them up to just to point out that like the concerns and the questions that y'all have are valid. Yes, it's just not that we need way more information, which we'll get to be able to dig in deeper to that. Someone I did see Jason White on. Uh, on YouTube, just asked how many times did Javi yeah, talk with Robert question. that day? Um, I can't give you the exact number off the top of my head, but I do know uh, from phone records, which I, I know there's questions about phone records. We're going to be a whole at least episode on phone records because I'm trying to build a map to put all this stuff together um, at some point. But I do know that it was several times. I want to, 
I want to say five or six times that Javi talked to Robert that day. Um, but I, I don't know this, the specific number, but it was multiple times throughout the day. Yeah. Before we get to listener questions, I have a one question out of Robert's interview. Maybe it's nothing. Maybe I'm just reading something. In it. Do we know anything about the stepbrother? Uh, John's son. It, it appears that, that that kid's name is Robbie. It sounds like that yeah. they call him Robbie. Yeah. It came up. It kind of went away pretty quickly. Do we know anything? Do we know an age? Do we know anything about that individual? Yeah. Uh, I don't remember the exact age. He's around the same age. Okay. Uh, the police did interview him. We're going to get to that. Okay. Um, they interviewed him that that day. Actually, they, they kind of interviewed him as they're telling him what happened. Because that that kind of, I mean, it kind of brought that to mind. You know, if he, if it's they call him Robbie and she says she's going to go on a hike with robbie or robert maybe we're confusing you know what i mean maybe javi confused the wrong person oh yeah that maybe she didn't say i'm g- going with my ex-boyfriend but i'm going with i didn't even think about that that, that i'm going, going with, with robbie or robert robert confirmed that he was asked to go on the hike and was and had initially said yes and then had said that oh, he wasn't yeah. going to right i mean that's that did happen too right i, I love that you're the voice of reason as my brain is like processing that to see if it's possible that <laughs> Robert already no, said No, we know that there. Robert... But as I say that, yeah. he said that Robbie is supposed to be there that weekend. Robert was, Robbie no, that's was definitely supposed true. to be there that day. Right, yeah. I think that's a really good... I mean, that's a great question above and beyond it being about Robbie going on the hike. It's just a great question about a family member, another person who maybe was supposed to be there and doesn't have appeared to have been, to, to have been there. That's just a good other question uh, on its own, right? Just, you know, who was supposed to be there? Also, uh, right. there was that whole conversation last week. I don't think we ever talked about it, but, you know, Janelle, I think it was Janelle said something about or Claire said something about some of uh, some of the kids not liking or getting along with their parents. Um, and so that's, you know, that's another thing that never really got addressed. And maybe it was dealt with later. But when you're thinking about suspects or you're thinking about cause and all that kind of stuff, if someone says, you know, Becky was the only one of her siblings who even liked her mother. Uh, that's an interesting thing to say. Um, and that we didn't talk about that last week. Um, yeah, Christine had the same question about uh, John's son, Robbie. And uh, so it's great to hear that we're going to be hearing a little bit more about that in that interview. I, I will say this now, Rob, as far as we know, according to Robbie, he he was planning on going that weekend, didn't make it, had called his dad and said that he was going to come the next day, which would be the Monday uh, that he was going to come up and visit him. Um, and then it sounded like, they, like he just when he showed up there for that visit is when he found out what happened. Gotcha. Gotcha. OK. Um, Zap, you good? Do you want me to pop into these questions? You're good. OK. So um, I was actually going to end with Christine's question about Robbie. So I'm going to work a little bit backwards on here. Um, other questions okay. about the family. Emily wanted to know what happened to the family dogs. If you do know. Um, I don't know. I, I need to look at it because I've, I've heard. That um, a neighbor ended up taking them. I've heard several things. because So funny thing about the dogs, when I was at the crime scene, there's still a little bit, the foundation for the house is still there. Mm. And there's like a little bit of rubble that is still like piled up on the concrete. And I was just one of my multiple trips up there just thinking I was like sifting through to see is there anything that can. And I came across a dog toy. And oh, so wow. this is before I even had the case file. But I was just, and I had and I'd asked some people connected to the case if they had dogs because it seemed like. If they had dogs, that could give us an indication of, you know, who it was, what happened to the dogs. I, I, I believe I'm going to look more into it that the, you know, from what I've heard, the dogs got away. They lived and a neighbor ended up taking them, I think, because um, I was wondering if the dogs ended up, were, were killed by the offender or if they were, you know, what happened. But seems like the dogs were unharmed. Okay. Megan just had a, a curiosity um you may not know this, but just a question kind of thinking on the terms of money and perhaps there being money problems. Sometimes that can end up resulting in crime. Um, she was just curious about when Vicky refinanced the house. There was a mention of that refinancing happening and, you know, if there was any more information about why that happened and if it could have any no, bearing all, on this. All I can see is like in the deed records and the in the background checks I do that. There was a new mortgage on the house that year and what the amount was for. And it was a mortgage for 54000 which means, you know, it's a 20-year-old house that they've owned for 24 years. So probably that was the – I assume that was the remaining balance of the other mortgage that got refinanced. But I don't have any more details on that. But however, I'm going to – I have found in the police file, we have our amazing uh, document organization team that is helping me break things down. Um, and I've seen – I haven't been through it yet, but there is actually – 
it looks like they pulled credit reports for everyone. So we'll probably, a lot of the stuff will be, you know, as we get more information, we'll circle back to to see okay. if we can find it, get any more information. Okay. Um, on the same line of a uh, money thing, just a bit of a follow-up question uh, from uh, Kelly about Becky and how she paid for her vehicle. We heard some uh, talk about that by the cop as well, wondering how she could afford uh, the infinity, et cetera. She's working. Uh, Kelly says she's working two days a week at Denny's as a server on a graveyard. Not necessarily the best tips. Do we have more information on kind of how how that could all happen? Yeah, I, to me, like the cops' concern about that was kind of nonsense because she says she said the Scion was her sister's car, right? That her sister let her drive. So you took so check that off the list, right? She didn't buy that car, right? And then the infinity. Is and we haven't get, got to the crime scene yet, so I guess. It, but it, it's like an old, it's an older, just little cheap. Right. It's a, it's a car. It's a used car that you could probably buy in two thousand six for fifteen hundred dollars. Okay. It's not like a brand new car or any, anything like yeah. that. So yeah, she had bought, and we don't know that she only worked two days a week. I think they said usually on the weekends she worked the graveyard. I don't know what that means that's all she worked. You know, so I'm I'm assuming she probably worked more than that. But but yeah, I mean the. the she wasn't driving a Rolls Royce and and was trying to decide whether to get into that or her Lambo the next day. You know, she had right. an older model Infinity, and then her sister let her drive her car while she was gone, so she let her mom drive her car. Gotcha. Um, and then uh, Lynn pointed out uh, still some confusion about who hears what from whom. Uh, Lynn says, "How did Claire hear about the fire? She seems to be the first of Becky's friends to know. Because didn't Claire tell Javi?" Yeah, so uh, Jim Ellis's daughter, Jim Ellis, who was there with Tim Summerlee when the, the the very first ones on the scene, Jim called his daughter Kim, who lived down in the valley, and told her about the fire. And then Kim called Claire and told her, and then or either called her or Janelle. I think she called Janelle, and then Janelle called Claire somewhere in there. But then Claire called Javi. Okay, so it goes from so that string goes from. From Jim Ellis to his daughter Kim to Janelle to Claire to Javi to Robert. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, for the wheelbarrow, uh, there was – Toby says there was a long discussion about this, but do we know whether the wheelbarrow belonged to the family? If yes, do we have any information about where it was usually kept? Uh, we don't. But, you know, that will be crime scene stuff too. But yeah, we don't okay. know if it belonged to the family or not. I, there, there's some clues, I think, that, as far as why it was out there. You know, they didn't have a barn or they had a garage um, that was jam packed full of stuff. Um, but you know, like in the, I don't think in the picture I posted, but in the, when we do the crime scene and all these photos get posted, um, you see, like right behind where the wheelbarrows at, there's some looks like freshly transplanted trees with stakes in the ground to hold. You know, when you freshly transplant a tree, you always put stakes in so that the wind doesn't yeah blow them over. Um, so I don't know. I mean, they could have been digging up trees from the back desert and bringing them up to the house. I don't. I don't know why the okay. wheelbarrow was there. Okay. Um. Uh, let's get into some Javier and uh, Robert questions. But before we do, Lauren wants to know. Remind us again how long after the fire were these two specific interviews conducted? Obviously, one seems like it was the next day with Javi they on were the scene. Both the next scene. day. Okay. So Javi's on the scene. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't remember exactly what time it was. But he got to the scene at like eight thirty in the morning, and and he was interviewed at the scene. And then Roberts was, I want to say, about five o'clock that evening. After multiple calls with Javier. Yes. Yeah. 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 But it was it was it was the they were both the day after. Okay. Yeah. There's definitely um, a lot of chat in the uh, YouTube right now about just what their relationship was. I mean, we we talked about the multiple times they spoke during the day. Um, some folks are wondering, you know, if this guy doesn't was not really a buddy of theirs and they had been broken up for many months, uh, how easy was it for Javier to grab his phone number? I mean, I guess all of that could just be friends of friends and somebody knowing, you know, that she was supposed to see him. So getting involved right away and calling him. But there's just a little bit of, of confusion or, or curiosity, I guess, about how how well they knew each other and, and why they would speak several times that day and, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't I don't think that Robert and Javi were like close friends. So it's a little weird. I think that like giving everybody in the whole picture like benefit of the doubt, right? I think that maybe Javi would call Robert 
you know, if maybe he had his number, maybe they were they were friends. I know they weren't super close friends, but because Becky had said she was going hiking with Robert, and I think even what he said was that he called Robert out. He was concerned that Robert was also in the fire mm. because she knew, you know, he, she had told him, "Oh, Robert's coming up, and we're going to go hiking." Got it. And then she ends up dead in the fire. Where's Robert? So I think that's why. But I, I don't know how close they are. Friends. I'll have to ask. So I talked to Robert actually last week. Um, and I was there was a weird thing. I wasn't able to record the interview, but we haven't really talked case stuff yet. We've got you know we're working with his lawyer to see when we'll be able to really dig into the the case materials yet, since they've got out there in the middle of uh, filing for for a writ. Um, so we'll see how that goes. But I but I have, I do have an open line of communication with him. But he he probably would be able to answer that one. I would think. So I'm, the next time okay. I talk to him, I'll ask. Okay. Yeah, that was Rebecca's question uh, too, um, and also she wanted to know how far away. Javi's friend was that he stayed with that night. Was it in Pinion Pines? Did he see the fire? Could he have seen the fire from where he was? I feel like that was touched on, but I can't remember what the answer. So Nick Coraline right. lives um, in in Pinion Pines, but down on Pinion Road. So if, for those of you who go on our website and look at the map, you, know, you kind of drive up. There's kind of like two blocks, like two like sections of houses. So you drive up Pinion Road, and then there's like a block here, and then you go up, and there's another block here, and that's where the crime scene is. So he's he's way down closer to 74, but he does live in Pinion Pines. No, he wouldn't have been. I mean, actually, when the at night, as dark as it was, when the fire was big, he probably could have looked up the hill and seen it. It doesn't give any indication that he does. Uh, but he's actually interviewed. We'll get more into him later. He's actually interviewed. I, I kind of you you heard at the end of that interview the the quick little transition. From the cop switching over to him because he's, you know, he says, Well, whose red truck is this? And he's like, Oh, it's his. And he's like, Okay, come on over here. Well, then it transitions into a whole nother interview with, with Nick. Now, I may be wrong, but I don't think Javi stayed there the night of the fire. I think he stayed there the night before. I think he said Friday night he was up there. Yeah. For, which would be two days before. Oh, oh, at Nick. Well, he said he stayed at Becky's house on Friday night, I think. Or was it Saturday night? Well, I think he said he was at Becky's Friday night, but I thought he was. I thought he had stayed at Nick's the night before. It could be. I haven't, like I said, we, we without you know getting into when we get into suspects, we'll dig deep into every single one of those details. But yeah, I, I don't know when he was up, but but he was up there with Nick at that time when he was doing the interview. Okay. And another friend too. Um, they don't say his name in the interview. They mentioned a redheaded guy. His name's Bo Nash, another friend of his. Oh, great. Like that was Debbie's question. She just wanted to know if we had any more information on the guy with the red hair referenced in the in the interview and the red truck and all that kind of stuff. So great. Um, Candy, curious why uh, Javi's cousin was changing his name. May not be important, but good question. Yeah, I, I have no idea. And again, once we, you know, I, I mean, you, you can as we, when we get into suspects, you can imagine we're doing this as a, a real investigation from the beginning. Which, where do you start? You start at the beginning and you start at the tightest circle and work your way out. So, obviously, Robert, the ex-boyfriend, Jacob, the other ex-boyfriend, will all be people that we're going to cover as we as we move along. I don't know. I was kind of surprised that the cop didn't ask any more about that either. Yeah. The Lynn, uh, sorry, Lisa asks, why do you think the detective did ask Javi to see his shoes? Uh, seems like Javi assumed it was because his prints would be found. But is there more to it than that? Did the killer track something where they may be looking for blood or accelerant? Was there more of a reason for that question that you know of? I, I, I don't know. I, I, I can tell you that I'm sure they were looking for. There are definitely footprints in the sand up there or in the dirt that um, that they were curious about. And so I'm I'm assuming that's why they looked. But, yeah, it could have been. They could have been looking for signs of char or anything i don't know but i i i assume i don't know what the cop was thinking i assume that he wanted to see the tread because there are some footprints up on the crime scene blake i know we're going to kind of button up this idea of looking at either of these guys as suspects just yet just to kind of reiterate some things that have been in the chat and that people have said on uh, social media blake just felt a little concerned about javi he did feel like he was very quick to explain away his footprints um, the, he found the, the conversation or she, I don't know, Blake, I'm sorry if I just, uh, gendered you, um, called Robert numerous times and how much Robert seemed, uh, I'm sorry, and how much Javi seemed to want to go up to the scene. I feel like we've covered that, but I just wanted to sort of put it all in one place. Cause that's sort of the yeah, question. I, I think have. we've gone as far as, as, as we, we can, or probably should go with that for right now. Yeah. Great. We're going to, you know, we're going to focus in on that. I do want to point out that, um, 
Mac- it's hard to read from this far away. Makara, Makara mm-hmm. uh, asked if I found out the if I figured out the garage door issue. I haven't yet. A lot of listeners have been great and sent me photos of garage doors. Um, the way the mechanisms work, I'm still pretty baffled. Somebody did send me an email or a DM. I don't remember that said that they had a, a, those type of garage doors and they had a problem with it slamming shut. If there was like a draft, like if someone opened the door to the house, oh, interesting, it would cause like a weird suction and cause it down. Which, if the door into the house was open and there's a fire that creates its own draft upward, I think that's possible that that could that could cause it. But I'm still oh. trying to find one locally that I can go get my hands on and yeah. and see how the mechanism works. But but good question. We're still working on it. That's a great question. That so, that's helped out so far. Yeah, that call to action is out there. If you're nearby. Bob wants to come see you. I'm sure he'll bring you some cake, some cookies, and possibly some beer. Right. Um, roll. Oh, wait. I'm sorry. I keep interrupting you, but it reminded me that it's not part of this follow-up, but I also asked about Denny's yes. last week. Yes. Had tons of feedback from that. Um, several listeners. Um, one, I should have printed these out so I had the names. I apologize for you, those of you that have been so kind to help that I'm not giving you credit for that uh, with your name. Um, but, but several people said they worked there. Some people said they worked at Denny's in 2006. Uh, some in the late 90s, they said the uniform definitely, through all those time frames, was black pants, black shoes. The shirt changed. Some people said it was like they had to wear like actually a shirt and tie, and some wore like a polo, and there were different different shirts. So there there was one A shirt that had to be worn. And two, it's always been black shoes and black pants. Also, uh, they said a lot of people did change there. Most people said that that most of the time if they changed it was like they would go to work in their work clothes, but they would bring street clothes to change into when they were there. But it is possible that people would go into like the restroom when they'd get there and get changed. Um, Although I will point out again that it seems it seems odd to me that if you're at your house getting dressed and you're leaving, going straight to work. Why you would go through the trouble of getting dressed into something other than your work clothes just so that you could change after you drive down there. But this kind of anecdotal, we'll dig into all that more. But I want to thank the people that did point that out. And we do know that she definitely was not wearing the pants and shoes that she has to wear at work. Gotcha. Um, I While you were gone, I asked folks if they felt that they uh, there was a question that got missed in the, the YouTube chat because there's so much great stuff going on in there to bring it back up. And I do see some that I noticed earlier that I do want to bring up. Jennifer was wondering, um, you know, Javi was supposedly making calls to all the kids that morning. Is Do we have any sense of whether he was just like at the scene or near the scene where his interview took place, kind of calling people from there? Or, you know, was he going home and sort of cycling through calling different people? Do we know much about that? And assuming we'll be talking more about Javier Jill also had asked, like, are we going to hear more about his parents, his family, community influence, et cetera? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely right. all that. And the phone thing, I, I don't know. Again, that, that's going to – we're going to really dive into phone records because I don't know the answer to that. It seems like it's like she, he's in two places at once because he seems to be at the scene quite a bit. And then also he's making a bunch of phone calls, but there's no cell service at the scene. So I don't mm. know if he was like calling from Nick's house or mm-hmm. whatever. So we're, that's all stuff that has to be dug. It's a good question, but we'll, question. we'll have to dig into that as we move along. Um, uh, Kate wanted to make sure that we all put a pin in the idea that, you know, this idea of of, of Becky potentially going out with Marines, um, this hort- sort of whole other like these older guys right. who potentially were in the service that she was interacting with on some level. That's a really um, interesting point. Um, also, uh, Christi- uh, on, on that topic, okay. I will I will say that um, from what I've seen so far, I've read quite a bit of the case materials, not all of them. I haven't seen any confirmation of that. So, you know, okay. w- so let's say that's not true. Mm-hmm. Then we're still left with unknowns because we're still left with. Does that mean that? Becky was lying to Robert about that to make him jealous, as he says, or does it mean that Robert was lying about that? I don't know. Gotcha. Uh, the answer to that, but but I don't think there's any confirmation that that is something that actually happened. Okay. Uh, real quick, also, I just noticed um, Christine said, you know, it, it the 95 degree weather, really good point. Uh, it it's it's still hot driving down 
your like driving in your car, even on a warm evening. Um, a lot of the time you don't want to like be in a hot car, sweat in your work clothes and get to work and be sweaty. So it that because sure. it was a 95 degree day, I think that's a really, really good point about the, the clothes. Um, OK, so uh, I think we are getting on towards the end. Jason just wanted to confirm. I think this might be part of the whole which day was he talking about Robert confusion. He says, what do we know about how early in his shift Robert was suspended? Was he supposed to be working at the time of the supposed hike? It seems odd for him to agree to a hike that would have otherwise taken place during work hours. Also a question about the church and the call that Robert supposedly made about going to a church, going to church, going to service and then not going. OK, so the uh, I'll start with the church call. Um, I'll tell you again, I keep repeating myself, but we're going to dig into those cell phone records, all the phone records big time. Um, but I will tell you that 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 isn't his record. It's there. It, it shows it was around seven o'clock, I think, that he called four one one, which for you young whippersnappers is what we used to do to get phone numbers. Um, it's called called information, and then he called the Sacred Heart Church. That's in his phone records. Now, is that normal? I mean, for people to just find uh, find a church to attend, it it seems abnormal to me, but. But, I mean, it's strange that his mom wanted him to go to a mass that night. Okay, so it's interesting you say that because it's it's super abnormal to me, too. Um, but it's not – I'm not Catholic, so I don't know. And I don't know if this speaks to all Catholics. But when I was – my first trip to the desert to work on this case, I spent some time with Robert's family, and including his mom. And we had a bunch of things we were doing, places we were going, people we were meeting. In the middle of that day, Robert's mom said, "Okay, well, I need to go find a mass, so I'll meet." So, literally, like, left the group in the middle of the day, and was calling her and her her brother were like calling different churches and looking online for times to see which who had a two p.m. mass because that's when she was able to go. And so then I, I talked to her brother a little bit after, and they said, "Yeah, that's a, that's a it's a big thing for her and her family. They're they're Catholic that that." It's very important to Robert's mom that mm-hmm. you go to a mass every Sunday. So, so for them, that was very normal for for her to say you need to find a mass to go to. Now, to get to the 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 work thing, it was at the end of the day when he got. To, and somebody had said something like, "Oh, listen to how he downplayed the fact that he he said he got suspended when he got fired. He did get suspended. What happened was he had put in." He was only he only had two more days left to work before he was done working there for the summer, and I I don't know what that but it, it was something like, well you get a three day suspension for this, but he was only working two more days anyway, so that was the end of his career at the water park. But it happened right at the end of the day. So what 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 happened was at the end of the day they shut the water off to the um to the slides because the day's over. And or for whatever on Sunday, I think they closed at six and then he went down the slide, him and Christian, his friend Christian, he mentions, went down the slide with no water running. And apparently that was a no, no. And they got in trouble for that. (laughs) So I think he says in the interview, he got off about six. And and that kind of lines up because he said when he called that their last mass was at 530, which means he missed it. Mm hmm. So we're definitely in that ballpark of that that evening, six, six thirty. Yeah. Yeah, so it was. I think he got off at six or got off at six thirty, whatever it was. You know, they mm-hmm. they shut the park down, shut the water down, and they went down the slide with no water on it and got in trouble. Got it. Doesn't seem to be too egregious. Um, okay, couple of last questions, and then I know we really got to wrap it up. Um, I saw something that uh, a, a quick question about the explosion um, that was seen uh, as part of the fire was, do we know what the explosion was? Was it the upstairs windows? Okay. I'm going to answer that after I real quick circle back to, I just want to point out that uh, Jennifer and Valeria, both on the YouTube, must be Catholics, but both of them said, Jennifer says for Catholic mass, yes, that's normal. And Valeria says as, as a Catholic, it is very normal. So got it to answer your question, Zach. Uh, the explosion, I don't – I actually discussed this a little bit on the fan page with a few people, but I think that – and Brian Blanchett also just says that it's normal as a Catholic. So we can confirm it's normal. I don't think there was an explosion. And so I was – it was Carissa who said she heard an explosion, looked out, and saw this massive fire that was, you know, huge column of flames in the air. 
So first of all, let's put ourselves in the time frame when that is. When the fire's that big, the crowd has already gathered. At least Tim and his wife and Jim Ellis. There's another guy named Randy Paulson. There's more people that we're going to get to later. They were already at the scene right in front of the house. Nobody reports an explosion. Hmm. Carissa lives far enough away down the, you know, that for her to hear what sounded like a huge explosion, there's just nothing in the house that could create an explosion that loud. The only thing that could cause something like that would be what we call a blevy um, of the LP tank, the propane tank, which a a blevy means it's a boiling liquid expanding vapor explosion, which means when you have a, a closed container with a liquid in it, could be gas, could be water, could be whatever. As you heat it up, and it so, so when when like water converts to steam, it takes up seventeen hundred times the amount of volume. Hmm. So if you take something that's like say a, a, a sealed tank like that, that's half water, as it gets if as it's on fire, it heats up as it gets hot, and it gets to two hundred twelve degrees and starts you know converting to steam. It starts building up all this pressure because steam is so much greater in volume than water. And it gets to a point where the container can no longer hold it, and it explodes. And those explodes are massive. Uh, explosions are massive, and they are violent. Like, it would, it would leave a crater the size of a house if that happened. Um, and we know the propane tank from the crime scene photos is still intact. The, 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 the LP tank did not blevy. It did not explode. There, were, there was a lot of ammunition and stuff in the house that was going off when the fire department was there, they noted. But those are, you know what that, you know, especially a bullet firing due to fire when it's not in a gun where it's not as loud. It's just like, I've been to fires like that. It scares the shit out of you when there's, when, you know, I've been crawling inside of a house fire when bullets were firing off like that. But the thing about a bullet is they don't actually, the thing that makes them go forward is that they're in an enclosed barrel with a back that's solid. So all the pressure only has one. When they're just sitting out and they explode, they just pop. Got it. But it just scares you. Uh, but but I don't think that would, you know, she could say I heard a bunch of gunshots, but she says she hears an explosion. The propane tank doesn't isn't exploded. And there's people standing right outside the house at that point when she says she heard it. And so I'm get, what, I'm, what I'm getting at is I don't think that she heard an explosion. And so I, th- I think it's, I, I think it's probably a false memory. When you think back, you know, you've seen too many, seen TV too many times. You know, every time a car catches on fire, it explodes and all the stuff you see on TV that doesn't really happen. Um, so my guess, it's something like that. I just, I, I can't see any evidence that there was an actual explosion. Okay. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You've worked hard for what you have your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Uh, okay, I think a lot of the the stuff that we're still talking about, if you see anything, um, Bob, call it out. A lot of it is still kind of behavioral stuff, and it sounds like we're going to get way more into stuff with um, Robert's behavior, Javi's behavior, um, those kinds of things in the future, even Becky's behavior. I, I did want to just throw out this last thing. Montana Sky Forever um, says, I- I'm bothered by the level of disrespect and hostility directed at Becky by the police. Is this a valid interview tactic, incompetence, or something else? Um, and I, I, I think that's that's a really interesting question, because some of it seemed to me like, you know, the whole sort of what is it? The read technique? I don't know where the guy's like, listen, p- things can happen. Women be crazy. Right. Like you, you could hit her once in a while and that wouldn't be a big deal. Right, Robert? Like some of that or, you know, but but there was some of that sense of like, what was she doing? Was she a party girl? Was she this? Was she that? That um, I could understand why someone would feel like, ooh, like I don't appreciate the way the victim is being discussed by the police. Do you have any thoughts on that? 
Yeah, it's it's hundred percent. It was re technique, poorly executed re technique. I think they're probably, um, in my opinion. I mean, I'm not an expert in it either, but I've listened to lots and lots of interviews. But that's a, it's a common. Te- so, but there, so the re technique is a whole process, right? There's like there's an interview, a discussion. You're establishing a baseline, developing a rapport. Then you try to get them to put something on the record. You try to get them to you know to give you a timeline of something, commit to something. Then you start picking that apart. You move in everything from physical body language. You move in closer, start to put some pressure on. You kind of back them into a corner where they have no way out, and then you give them a way out, which is usually where that comes in. Where where once once it's like you look, you said you weren't there. I have video surveillance says you were there, and 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 they literally will physically get closer to the person to where their knees are almost touching, Mm -hmm. and it's just all these different tactics to make you uncomfortable. You get backed into a corner where you don't – and then they offer you the way out where they say, right. look, you know, maybe it was an accident. That happens, you know. you know, Sometimes sometimes you just got to smack a woman around, you know. Like that, that's – they'll say things like that. God, please, somebody don't clip that and put that out of me, of me saying that. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, those are the types of tactics you would see. You would see. It, it would, be, would be things like that, like essentially offering – like, hey, man, if you beat her up a little bit, you know, you know, like you said, women be crazy. You know, right. they do that stuff. Um, so I think it was that. I think it was just very poorly executed, premature read technique tactics that were okay. that were being used. Either that or the guy's just an asshole. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it, there was across the board. I think Montana Sky felt that there was yeah even in all four interviews, there was just sort of a, a sense of like de- like demeaning or giving an opportunity to the interviewee to demean the victim. And and so I thought that was worth worth bringing up in case anyone else was, you know, disgruntled by yeah, that. Sure. I get it. Uh, I think maybe we should call it right. We've we've covered a ton of stuff. Um, stuff keeps rolling in. But oof, what do you think? Yeah, we probably should. We're over or over an hour, an hour, around an hour. So yeah, we go and we go and wrap there for now. And I'm loving the engage. It's it's so nice. To be Such back great engagement. And having like all of this engagement, the fan page. If you're not on the Facebook fan page, it is the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. There are other groups out there that use our name uh, that are not we are not affiliated with and have nothing to do with. But the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. There's, I oh got, there's 15,000 people in there and there is, um, incredible discussion going on, but yeah, the, like such great questions. In fact, everybody's diving in. Another thing people have been asking about, uh, materials on the website, uh, they're coming. I don't, I, somebody asked about a transcript for Robert's interview cause it was hard to hear. Zach, you mentioned it was. Yeah. I listened a few times. It was, it was very it's a little hard difficult to hear. to hear. And I know that there was a few other listeners that had mentioned that too, that, yeah. It, that it was it was a little difficult to kind of police interviews are tough sometimes because we yeah. can't do well it's technical stuff but it's when there's a when there's a lot of background noise there's not much we can do with it um I don't have a tra- I, I I have found in the police file the report for that that I should have up by the time you hear this so I, I'm I'm adding some materials up there I got to go through and triple check the redactions and then get those um get those put up um so so those are coming but but thank you all for. All of your engagement. I'm excited that we're have so many people so interested in the case, that, and we're just getting started. There's so much more to do. Like I'm, I'm about to take up a eight foot whiteboard with phone records because it's just bananas. So there's lots of them, and they're all intermingled, and so all that stuff's coming. Um, so again, to remind you guys, we've got uh, we're off for a week, so you can take a breather between now and Sunday the 10th, which is when um, the next main episode comes out. That will be an interview with Dr. Shiloh and Dr. Scott who are doing a professional forensic psychologist analysis of Robert's interview, um, which was, as I said, was just, you know, for me as an investigator, I was like, man, I'd like to hear a professional tell me what you think about this because we're trying to figure out what Becky was actually doing that day. So that's coming. In the meanwhile, meantime, we will be off. Um, still tickets available for the April 16th show in Grand Rapids, Michigan. If you don't have those, go to captainfathands.com slash events. And uh, either you guys have anything else? Nope, I'm good. No, I'm All excited right. to hear about your trip to Mexico when you get back. It's going to be fun, a little fun in the sun with me and Zach and our wives. I'm sure we'll FaceTime you. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Really looking forward to it. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Dan. Thank you, YouTube people, for, for joining us. And we'll see you guys in two weeks. Thanks, everybody. Bye, guys. Justice is an 
an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Edited by Mike Bussing, and all music for the show is created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. Our follow-up logo was created by me, and all of our fonts across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, TruthAndJusticePod.com, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Kay Woodyomnick, Ginger Fiola, Erica Cantor, Danielle Rohr, Jennifer Ford, Courtney Wimberly, and Melissa Cardenas. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in several ways. To financially support the show, the best thing you can do is just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You'll not only be supporting the show, but you'll get something in return. On Patreon, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we have reward levels. For just $5 a month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes bonus video content every week. Then other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can also do us a huge favor by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the brands that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page on Facebook. And for all you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. Follow our personal accounts on social media. I can be found in all forms at Bob Ruff Truth. Janet can be found at Janet Varney. And Zach is at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24 7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. As for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Janet Varney. And this has been Truth and Justice. When I added you to the, the credits on there, it says me, creator and host, Janet Varney, co-host, Zach Weaver, sidekick. Awesome. No, it doesn't. Wait, did you, you had to have done, you did that. You did that. It, <laughs> it, I, I meant to do it for just like one week until yeah. you saw it. Because it was that's one of the options. Like when oh, you select I've what they do, oh. there's like producer, sound engineer, blah, blah, blah. And one of them said sidekick. And I'm like, that's awesome. God damn it. Oh. So it says sidekick. in the little bubbles underneath. Sidekick. That's outrageous. Oh, wow. I hate that I had to tell you to look because I wanted you I, I just don't to look just at it. text me uh, what the fuck is I'm, that? I'm proud of you. You told that. me not to look at that stuff anymore after I got called a bag of doorknobs. Yeah, stop looking at the reviews. Say goodbye to the dish and hello to Sky Stream, the new way to get Sky over Wi-Fi. So you can get unmissable Sky shows like The Last of Us and Succession, as well as Netflix and Discovery Plus, and loads more, all in one subscription for £26 a month. Oh, and next day delivery with no upfront fee. Sky Stream, TV simplified. Head to sky.com. Requires Skystream and broadband minimum speed, 10 megabits per second, 18-month minimum term. Cut-off times apply for next day delivery. Excludes bank holiday. 18 plus, terms apply.